Welcome to this podcast by The Rocks Church. We hope you find it challenging and inspiring. For more information, visit therocks.church. Well, good morning, everybody. It is wonderful to see you all, and how good is it to be together again on this absolutely stunning Sunday Easter morning, and this is hands down uh, one of my favorite Sundays, if not the favorite Sunday of the whole year, because on this day we are celebrating the moment in human history when for the very first time somebody died and was brought back to life, never to die again. And that history-making moment, that defining moment in time has changed everything for you and changed everything for me. And that is why we're here today, to celebrate the moment that Jesus overcame the grave, He conquered death, and He secured eternal life once and for all for you and for me. And I can't think of a better reason to celebrate. I can't think of a better cause for rejoicing than to know that death has been defeated and that eternal life has become ours. And so I hope that you are glad in your heart today that Jesus is alive. Are you glad He's alive? Amen. I uh, heard about uh, a a little boy who was just five years old who was part of the Easter production that his church was putting on. And he uh, had to play the role of the angel who announced to Mary that Jesus had risen. And he only had two lines. All he had to say was, he is not here. He is risen. And so all through the week, he practiced these little lines, and he was super excited about the event. And of course, when the moment finally rolled around and he stepped forward on stage in front of the congregation, mic in hand, he was overwhelmed with stage fright. And so he stood there in silence, just staring at the audience with his eyes as big as saucers, like a deer staring into the headlights. And of course, his mom realized what was going on, and she was sitting on the front row. And so she leaned in, and she whispered as loud as she could, He is not here. He is risen. And so the little boy shook himself out of his fright, and he he said with all the enthusiasm he could muster, He is not here. He's in prison. Well, not quite, all right? Maybe, Maybe he was in the dungeons of hell for like two nights or three days. But on that third day, Jesus broke forth in glorious power, overcoming death once and for all, and secured our eternal life. And you know, the Bible says that in the days immediately following that momentous occasion, Jesus spent 40 days in and around Jerusalem, meeting with His disciples, encouraging them, um, consoling them, comforting them, reassuring them, and and instructing them, and preparing them for His imminent departure. And uh, after 40 days, He took a small group of them up to a mountain, a place called uh, the Mount of Olives, and He said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So go now into all the world and announce this good news to every living creature. Make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey all things that I have taught you, and I will be with you even to the very end of the age. But wait, he said, wait in Jerusalem until you have received power from the Holy Spirit on high. And with those words, the Bible says Jesus was then caught up into the air, and he was enveloped in cloud, and he disappeared before their eyes. And just 10 days later, the disciples were gathered in a room, an upper 
room and they were praying and they were in Jerusalem. It was the day of Pentecost. The Jewish feast of Pentecost was being celebrated at the time. And so people had come from all over the region, all over the the surrounding um, land to come and celebrate this Jewish feast of Pentecost in Jerusalem. And the Bible says that on that day, in that moment, as these 120 followers of Jesus prayed, that God poured out His Holy Spirit on them in that room. And that that room where they were gathered was filled with a sound of a rushing mighty wind as the Spirit of God fell upon them and and tongues of fire began to appear on their heads. Now listen, I've been in some interesting church services. I've been in some crazy prayer meetings, but I have never seen people's heads spontaneously combust. (laughs) You know it's going to be a good day in church when people's heads start catching fire. So anyway, the Holy Spirit was poured out on these disciples, and the Bible says they burst out of that upper room onto the streets of Jerusalem, and they began to praise God and declare His glory and to honor Him in languages that they had not naturally learned. And all the people who had traveled to Jerusalem to come and celebrate the Jewish Feast of Pentecost heard them praising and glorifying and honoring God in their own language, and everyone was confused. And they said, what is going on here? It's like only 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and these people must be drunk the way that they are carrying on. And so Peter, who was one of the very first followers of Jesus, close friend of Jesus and one of the leaders of the early church, he stood up to clarify what was going on. And so let's read it together. We're going to read from Acts chapter 2 and verse 14. It says, Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem. Let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, signs, and wonders, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he, Jesus, has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made This Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Messiah is a Hebrew phrase, a Jewish term that was used to refer to the king. It literally just means anointed one. But here Peter is saying, God has made this Jesus both Lord and king. Lord of all lords and king of all kings. And goes on to say, Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? do so here Peter announces to this great multitude gathered in Jerusalem the essential heart of the gospel message the good news that Jesus is alive and Jesus is Lord Jesus has been resurrected and Jesus has been exalted Jesus has been raised back to life and Jesus has been given all authority in heaven and on earth earth has a new king And the people listening are so cut to the heart, they ask Peter the question, so what should we do? What should we do about the fact that Jesus is alive and Jesus is Lord? How should we respond? What a great question to ask. 
That is exactly the right question to ask when you are confronted with this news, this truth, this reality that Jesus is alive and Jesus is Lord. What should we do? How should we respond? What does this news require of us? And thankfully, Peter goes on to answer their question in verse 38 of Acts chapter 2. And he says, Peter speaking, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are afar off. That includes you and that includes me. For all whom the Lord our God will call. So here Peter, in no uncertain terms, clearly and unambiguously says, this is what you ought to do. And he says three things. Number one, he says, repent. If Jesus is alive and Jesus is Lord and he is, the first thing we can and should do is repent. Now, I don't know what you think of when you hear that word. I don't know what images you conjure up in your mind or what that word means to you, but I found that many people have a very distorted and inaccurate understanding of repentance. Uh, let me explain it to you this way. A few months ago, several months ago, I went to go see my uh, GP about something and had a series of tests done and... Uh, and, and had a, a significant conversation with my GP and decided as a result of the outcome of those tests and that conversation that I needed to get back in a gym and I needed to start exercising again, which I had not been doing for a very long time. I figured in the second half of my life, I want to be as fit and healthy as I can possibly be. And so I decided I'm going to get back into exercising regularly and I'm going to make some changes to my diet. And so I did. And for about the last seven, eight months, I have been exercising at least three or four times a week, making changes to my diet and endeavoring to be as healthy and as fit as I can possibly be. Now, one might say, I repented of my lack of exercise. I didn't just lament my lack of exercise. I didn't just regret my lack of exercise. I repented of my lack of exercise. In other words, my life was moving in the direction of no exercise. And then I had a moment of confrontation, a moment of conversation that produced a realization inside of my heart. And as a result of that realization, I decided I needed a change. And so I turned my life around and I started moving in the direction of exercise. That, friends, is repentance. Repentance is just a conviction that is born out of a realization that leads to a change in direction. It's a 180 degree turn. So what Peter is saying is, if you have gone your whole life not trusting or believing in Jesus, then to repent just simply means that from this moment on, you are going to start trusting and believing in Jesus. If you have gone your whole life not following Jesus, then to repent simply means that from this moment on, you are going to start following Jesus. If you have gone your whole life not obeying and submitting to this Jesus, then to repent means, well, from this moment on, you are going to start obeying and submitting to this Jesus. That is what repentance means. That's the essence of repentance. Now, I remember a number of years ago, I had to um, speak to a group of primary school aged children. They were between six and 12 years old, which is not my normal demographic, all right? I have a lot of admiration for those who teach every single week and who spend all their time with children who were that young. But we were at an Easter service, and I'd been asked to speak to this group, and we were talking about all that God had done in and through Jesus, and I was trying to explain this concept of repentance to them. And I thought, 
thought, how am I going to help these young minds understand this profound spiritual truth? And I came up with this, this idea that I thought, well, this I think will work. And I'm going to show you what I showed them. Because sometimes the simplest little demonstration can communicate the most powerful truth. And so this is what I said. I said, look, when, when, when your life is not submitted and yielded to Jesus, it's like your life is the wrong way around. It's like your heart is closed off to God, and your life is just upside down. And God has all these incredible, wonderful things that He wants to bring into your life. His grace, His goodness, His mercy, His kindness, His providence. God has so many wonderful things He wants to bring into your life. But because your heart and your life are inclined away from Him, not to Him, God just can't bring these things into your life, right? He's just pouring out His goodness, and none of it can be received, right? But what repentance does is repentance takes your life and it turns it 180 degrees around. And suddenly your heart becomes open to God and the trajectory of your life is toward God, not away from God. And all of a sudden, all the good things that God has prepared for you and wants to pour into your life comes flowing in to overflowing. That, friends, is what repentance does. And I've got to be careful now that I don't crush Easter eggs into the stage. Cheers. Right? Repentance opens your heart to all the good and wonderful things that God has in store for you. When you turn your heart towards Him, when you bring your life into submission to Him, when you turn the trajectory of your life towards Him, not away from Him, suddenly you can receive all the wonderful and the good things that God has in store for you. And you know that this gift of repentance is not just for people who are choosing to become followers of Jesus. If you are already a follower of Jesus, this gift called repentance is something that you can and should practice regularly as God convicts you and challenges you about areas of your life that are not submitted to Him or maybe areas of your life where you're not obeying Him or areas of your life where you're not trusting Him. As God confronts you and you come to a moment of realization about those things, you too can repent by turning your life toward God and opening your heart toward Him and, and bringing your life into submission to Him. Repentance is an incredible gift for everybody. In fact, back in the time of Jesus, there was a city uh, not far from Jerusalem in Greece called Corinth. And Corinth was not too dissimilar to one of our modern day 21st century cities in that Corinth was like a, a commercial hub. It sat in the middle of a trade route between the east and the west, and it was a place of convergence. And so people came from all over the world to Corinth to find pleasure and to make money. Uh, Corinth was kind of like New York City by day and Las Vegas by night. All right? It was a pretty debaucherous place. And so people flocked there to gain prosperity and to, and to find pleasure. And there was a church in Corinth. And this little group of Jesus followers in Corinth had evidently kind of fallen victim to the culture in Corinth. And, and these followers of Jesus had allowed things into their lives that were not reflective of what the life of a follower of Jesus should be like. Attitudes and behaviors that were not becoming a child of God. And so Paul, who was a, a father to them in the faith and a, and a friend, wrote to them and he challenged them about their lives and about their behavior. He confronted them. And evidently the letter worked because it says that they responded favorably to Paul's confrontation and they repented. And we know that because Paul wrote a second letter to affirm them and to commend them for the repentance. And listen to what it says, reading from verse 11 of 2 Corinthians 7. Paul says, and now isn't it wonderful what this godly sorrow and repentance has produced in you? You're more alive, you're more concerned, you're more sensitive, you're more reverent, you're more human, you're more passionate. 
you're more responsible. Looked at from any angle, you've come out of this with purity of heart. And that is what I was hoping for in the first place when I wrote this letter. Right? Paul's saying, I challenged you and confronted you about what was going on in your life, and you repented. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more great resources and to keep yourself up to date, head to our website. Visit therocks.church.com.